In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, I would like for us to start by imagining for ourselves a few different scenarios that I'm going to lay out for you this morning. So you need to put your creative hats on and, and do some imagining with me. Uh, we'll just jump right into it. The first scenario is this. Imagine, if you can, two things which may or may not be true for you in real life. But imagine, one, that you've been invited to a very important party. And two, you are a baker. You love to bake cookies and cakes and all sorts of, of treats. So, so because you've been invited to a party and because you're a baker, you have offered generously to bake a cake for the party. Maybe it's a birthday or, or a graduation, but you love to do it and you're happy to do it and you tell the host, maybe a friend of yours, that you will bring the cake. Now you have the best of intentions, right? You, you go to your recipe box and you pick out that secret recipe, the, the go-to one, the, the double chocolate chocolate cake that everyone loves and you pull it out or, or you go online and, and, you, and you search for something new, something challenging, uh, something that will be some, some fun for you to make, whatever it is, you find that recipe and you pull it out. Uh, maybe even during the week you go to the store and you gather all the ingredients, but, but you know how life goes, right? Uh, we get busy. And, and time slips away from us. And, and so it's the day of the party and, and you're rushing around and, and you head out the door empty-handed. There is no cake. So you do what the rest of us do, right? You stop at Jewel or Mariano's on the way and, and you buy one, one that looks nice but not too nice, a little homemade, and, and you bring it to the party and you set it on the table and you just hope that, that no one will notice. But, but they do. I mean, they notice how good it is, and, and it's delicious, and, and actually, uh, before you realize it, everyone is talking, and, and they're talking about you, uh, how wonderful a baker you are, and, and how creative you be, and, and the decoration that you put on the cake is just beautiful. Everyone at the party is, is talking about you and your amazing ability to bake. All right, that's scenario number one. Scenario number two is, is somewhat similar. Uh, imagine, if you can, that it's a beautiful day, maybe a little unlike today. The sun is out, it's a little warmer, and, and you've been walking around downtown Arlington Heights. Maybe you've stopped to get something to eat, maybe you're on a date, maybe you're just doing a little shopping, uh, whatever it is, you're walking around and you see this little boutique and you're not really thinking of buying anything, but you walk in and you wander around and you see something that catches your eye, something that you know a good friend of yours will absolutely love. Uh, maybe it's one of those decorative wine bottles that they've turned into a candle holder and, and you see it and you think of your friend and, and so you pull out your wallet, you make the purchase and uh, a week later you go over to their house, uh, maybe they're hosting a, another party, a housewarming party, and, and you set this decorative wine bottle on the table and, and you get just the reaction you hoped for. Your friend loves it. And she begins to tell all the other friends there how creative you are, how crafty you are, how you have this ability to turn nothing into something, how you can take someone else's trash, a, a broken wine bottle, and, and turn it into this treasure. Before you know it, everyone at the party is talking about you and your crafty, creative abilities. All right, scenario number three. This is the last one. Uh, imagine that you were up late last night watching one of the late night shows. Maybe it was a rerun of Jimmy Kimmel or Fallon or, or SNL or something like that. You were watching something where, where they told this hilarious joke, one of those jokes that just left you gasping for air, kind of hunched over. You couldn't stop laughing. And uh, today, though, you're, you're going to a party. You know there'll be a group of people, and you wait for just the right moment, and, and then you share the joke. 
and, and you tell it and your delivery is perfect and again you get just the response you want people are laughing and and, and they're now bent over gasping for air and but again everyone now start, starts talking about you how witty you are how, how you just have this way with words and, and how creative you are you are just so funny everyone is, is saying to you have you ever been in a situation like that where credit is being thrown your way, credit that is not exactly deserved because you didn't bake the cake, you didn't craft the wine bottle, you, you didn't come up with the joke. If you have found yourself in that situation, you know that there are two options, right? You can kind of zip your lips, say nothing, just receive the praise. Or maybe tell yourself, oh, sure, I, I didn't bake that cake, but the last three cakes I did bake, no one said anything about, and they were just as delicious, if not more. I deserve a little bit of praise. I'll, I'll take it where I can get it. You can receive the praise, maybe pat yourself on the back, or, or you can point the finger to the one who did the creating, who did the baking, who, who, who first told the joke, right? You can pat yourself on the back, or you can point the finger and give credit where credit is due. Now, I won't ask you... Uh, which option you have chosen more often than not. Uh, you can keep that to yourself this morning. But I, I, I lay out those scenarios because that is exactly what has happened to Paul and Barnabas that we just read about. Uh, if, if you remember the story from, from the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas are just beginning their first missionary journey. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you, you probably know that he was quite the world traveler. He was, he was the evangelist who went all over the known world spreading the good news of the message of Jesus. He was a, a church planter and, and a missionary who went far and wide. He, he would end up making three missionary journeys that we know of, but this was the first. This was kind of the, the genesis, the very beginning of all of that. They had just begun their first missionary journey, Paul and his co-worker Barnabas. And, and they've gone to this region of the world that we know of as Galatia, and they've gone within that region to a city called Lystra. And it was in Lystra that, that something amazing happened. See, God had been doing all of these amazing things up until this point and, and even after God was working powerfully, but, but it, it was in Lystra that Paul and Barnabas see this man who was born lame. He, he couldn't walk. And I'm sure that he had gone to every doctor, uh, every miracle worker, so-called miracle worker who was out there and, and tried to be healed, but nothing had worked. But, but Paul and Barnabas show up and they merely say a word and, and, and seemingly perform a miracle. The man is healed. He, he jumps up and he walks. Now, I, I say they seemingly performed a miracle because we know who actually did the work that, that day, right? It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Barnabas who did the healing. It was God. God was the one who had shown up that day and done something powerful. But, but to everyone who was there witnessing it, all of the, the, the crowds in Lystra, it appeared to them as though Paul and Barnabas were the ones with the power. And, and so, like the crowd that goes wild after a walk-off Grand Slam home run in, in, in the bottom of the ninth inning in Game 7 of the World Series, the crowd there in Lystra goes wild for Paul and Barnabas. They are just out of their minds over what they've just seen. This man born lame now can walk. And, and they attribute this miracle to the, to the only things that, that make sense to them, to these false gods, these idols named Zeus and Hermes. Zeus, the god of all gods, and Hermes, his son. And, and they just assume, because of the way they've been raised and, and taught and the way they see the world, that, that Paul and Barnabas must be these two gods, Zeus and, and Hermes. And, and they even say something in there. They, they exclaim, the crowd does. They say, the gods have come down to us in human form. And they actually, as, as you read, they, they go on to prepare sacrifices to offer to Paul 
and Barnabas. Now, this is where Paul and Barnabas are presented with a similar sticky situation as, as maybe we have faced, right? They have two options. They can receive the praise and the sacrifice. Uh, they can say to themselves, you know what? Uh, that was pretty impressive what we did. We actually impressed ourselves. We weren't sure if it was going to work, but it, but it did. And, and you know how much pain we've gone through and suffering that we have and, and will endure in the coming days and weeks and years. You know, we deserve a little bit of this good stuff now and then. We'll, we'll take what we can get, right? They, they could have patted themselves on the back, but instead Paul and Barnabas decide to point to the one who deserves all of the praise. Paul and Barnabas point to the one who had really done the miracle that day, who had performed that amazing healing. They point to God. Uh, one of the reasons why I believe that, that they are able to do this is because of a very formative experience that the two of them had. Uh, if, if you have your bulletin on page five, at the beginning of our reading, verses one to three, is, is, takes place actually before the missionary journey has ever begun. Kind of in their home base in the city called Antioch, God calls them and sets them apart, surrounds them with their family, their brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and the family there worships and fasts and lays their hands on Paul and Barnabas and commissions them, sends them out for a singular purpose. And, and it is their job over the next uh, number of years to do one thing. Paul and Barnabas are called simply to point people to Jesus. And so now when the, when the time comes, when the options are before them and the temptation is there to maybe take some of the credit and pat themselves on the back, they remember this moment of verses 1, 2, 3. They remember uh, who they are and what they have been sent to do. Now, now that, that calling that they have is oh so important, especially at a place like Lystra, right, where there are these empty false gods, people worshiping things, people putting their hope and their trust and their joy in, in worthless, empty idols. It was so important for, for Paul and Barnabas to do what they had been called to do at Lystra, but the truth is it's just as important for us today. You see, uh, although Lystra is, is a city very far away, and although this was happening a really long time ago, our world today I don't think is all that different than the world that those in Lystra experienced, right? We live in the same world in, in so many ways, a world with confusion where we have so many questions and we're searching for answers just like they were. We live in a messy world that we're looking for order, a, a chaotic world where we crave structure. We, we, we are looking to, to place our hopes in our in our, in our joys, in something or, or someone. And in Lystra, they, they had turned to Zeus and Hermes for that. But, but today, we have our idols too. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, no, Pastor, I don't have idols. Uh, come to my house. See my, see my rooms. There are no figurines, right, uh, sitting on the shelves. Uh, t- take a drive in my neighborhood. You will not see any statues to be found. There are no idols in our world today. But the truth is, we have our idols too because an idol really is anything or anyone that you look to for an ultimate sense of security or purpose or identity or hope or comfort or joy. Idols are empty things, worthless things that we fill with, with power and significance. Now maybe you don't, still don't believe me that we have our idols today. So I would like to take you through a little quick diagnostic. Uh, these are a set of questions uh, that I did not come up with. They're actually... Uh, from another pastor named Timothy Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. Uh, he's an author as well. 
and, and he came up with this diagnostic for himself to identify for himself the idols in his own life, the things that he was pouring significance and purpose into, the things he was looking to for comfort and, and security and joy. And, and what he asserts is, is that as you read through these questions and as you answer them honestly, and that's a key word, honestly, that you'll begin to, to see what your idols are, the things that you find worth in, the things that you comfort yourself with when things go badly, the, the things uh, that you long for. See, the, the truth is that, that I don't think any of you here are converts that you've converted from worshiping Zeus or Hermes. I don't believe that to be the case. But, but we do have our idols, right? Uh, for, for many of us, uh, an idol in our world today would be money. Money is a gift from God, uh, a tool that he gives us to provide food for our families and put roofs over our heads and, and, and the clothes that we wear. Uh, but, but money was never meant to have the power that we give it, right? Money was not something God gave us that we were to find hope and comfort and joy in. But for many of us, it is. It has become our idol. For others of us, maybe it's a job. Jobs are good. They're gifts from God. Again, same as as money. But but, but our jobs were never supposed to be given and filled with the significance and the power that we give them. They were never meant to be a source of of hope and comfort and joy for us. We were never supposed to love them as we do. For for others of us, maybe it's something like food or or even our families. Or then there's the the greatest idol of all, the one that stares back at us in the mirror, the idol of self. Because we all love to think that we are the creators of our our own destiny, that we are the saviors of our our own lives or our families. We all love to pat ourselves on the back, don't we? But you see, what Paul and Barnabas remind us of today is that it is Jesus who, who gives us a life of meaning and purpose. It is Jesus who is the author and the creator of all things. It is Jesus who gives structure and order to our our chaotic and messy world. It is Jesus who lived and died and rose to forgive us and set us free. It is Jesus that is our heart's longings and who is deserving of all of our love and devotion. And it's our job, it's our calling as much as it is Paul and Barnabas is to point people to him. That's each of our callings, to point people to Jesus. Because the truth is, we we all have our idols and and we live in a messy, chaotic world. And and together, as as the family of Christ, we are simply called to point people to Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm not an evangelist, and and that that is true. You you might not be, but, but you have the same calling as Paul and Barnabas because we all get off track and, and we need each other as the body of Christ to, to remind one another who is the one with the real power, who deserves all of the credit, who is worthy of all of the praise. Now, I, I know sometimes this can be overwhelming, so we're actually going to practice it this morning, all right? So what I want you to do, I know your mother told you uh, that it was not polite to point, but I want you to get out your pointer fingers. Can I see your pointer fingers? And I'm going to step out of the way so there's no confusion this morning, all right? And I want you all to point right there to that cross. Can you do that? Wasn't that hard, was it? In Jesus' name, amen.